Hi, um, this is the Digital Literacies and 21st Century Skills podcast, and today we are going to be talking about Design Thinking 2 with me, Laura Irwin, Justine Moody, Mary Kincaid, and Eileen Paul. Perfect. So today we are going to be talking about um, an article and a video we looked at for class. Um, We're going to start with the Sean um, Teaching and Learning as Design Transaction article and what we thought about it. Is there anything interesting that you thought that you thought about the Sean article Teaching and Learning as Design Transaction? So I thought that uh, when he talks about the silent game, that was pretty interesting. It's an interesting way of looking at communication. It's not a traditional way of communicating because they don't talk. So it is communicating nonetheless. As Sean mentions, essentially player A is trying to silently teach player B to show them how he's building what he's building. Actually, the silent game really reminded me of this game, this board game I play with my friends called Cryptid, where you each have a rule and the monster is located and it applies to all those rules on this board. And so you're going to be like putting down a figure and trying to figure out what everyone else's rule is to figure out where the monster is. There's so many games that, that are like this. Sorry, I just interrupted you. But I mean, the whole concept of communicating through action and not speaking, there's, you know, we can go to um, just charades, you know? Yeah. And really those games like play on miscommunication. Like right. There's another game called like Decrypto where you have a word and you have to try to like explain the word without other people guessing it and that's sort of like Pictionary and all those sorts of games. Mm-hmm. Like the bluff. Yeah and so I think that really fits in with what we learned in Design Thinking 1 where they talked about game design and using games in classrooms to kind of show design thinking and so I think that's really interesting for like how then they took it into this thing where they showed an examples of games where miscommunication is shown. I also think it's really interesting how he br- brought up that nonverbal communication, but then also talks about how verbal communication has just as many misunderstandings in it. Like when he t- uh, brings up the situation between the teachers uh, and the students, and there's just so much misunderstanding going on, even though they are using language and words. So it's yeah, like totally. just as, as unclear when you're using your words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had situations where it's kind of like you're playing telephone with someone and you're not quite understanding what the assignment they're giving you is. And you have to kind of go through other people to try to see what they understood of it to try to understand your own understanding of it. Because sometimes mm-hmm. it'll totally misread something. Yeah, and it also kind of relates to the toolmakers paradigm that he was talking about um, earlier in the article, that everyone constructs meanings of information that they receive from others and perceives it in a way that fits their own distinctive perceptions of like their um, own thoughts and feelings and experiences as well. Yeah, definitely. I really like it reminded me of a time when like I had the word shank in a game and I was trying to describe to my boyfriend like the word is shank, but I can't say shank. So I was I was talking about like a shoe shank. Like there's like a shank in a shoe because I, I studied fashion design and accessory design, and he was not understanding what I was saying. He's like, why did you just say glam? Like, it's almost like <laughs> selective perception. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, 
like an opportunist selective perception. And then he goes off to talk about the process of reciprocal reciprocal inquiry. So it's like, um, it is almost like the building of miscommunication. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes when you're trying to make something more clear, you're just confusing the person more by explaining your perception of it. Yes. And it's like less is more. Or yeah. like even the example of one of the students, they're literally using the same language, but they have two completely different meanings of the words that they're using. Right. Different context. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. what is talked about in the video is understanding yeah. culture and context in design thinking. Yeah, in the Tim Brown urges designers to think big TED Talk, um, Tim Brown talks about how we are just starting to design small. Um, what did we think about that video? I know it was really interesting to see like how his pr- his perspective on it since he is a designer. I thought the video was really great, and it really summarized it as um, design thinking coming back, and there's just this reemergence of design thinking because we had gotten to this point of just materialism and just everything having just superficial meaning. So how do we get back to creating and how do we get back to innovation with meaning? So I thought it was a really good video. Yeah. Like focusing on the functionality of the of mm-hmm. things that you're designing instead of just how they look or and stuff like that. He talked yeah, about the principles. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I think there were a lot of um, things that I never really thought of that were really innovative. And it, that is design. And it just changed so drastically from when we've been alive, because we really do think of design as like a visual thing and how to make things look more appealing. But the whole functionality of it is so important. And it really does change the lives of people living in a different atmosphere who do need um, a better quality of life. Yeah, it's really interesting with depending on what generation you're part of. If you're part of like the older millennials, you remember not having like really fast internet and you remember totally. not having I'm 45 years old. So I can, you know, this was an incredible resource for me when I was going into college Er, 1992 we didn't have cell phones or computers I didn't have a laptop we went to a hall we went to the library you know we used pay phones and we checked our messages in our dorm room so it's you know we're using Alexas and multiple remotes because we can't get up but then they showed you know the hearing aid and things that had um that were created they were human-centered and he talked about the principles of design thinking, being human centered and understanding culture and context when creating. So I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. I also really like how it focused on um, how you don't need the most fancy building to make your ideas happen. And he gave the example of them just prototyping and creating the technology they needed in the basement because mm-hmm. they were just using the resources that they had. And I think that's, a really interesting way because I feel like we usually get like stuck in committees and the muck of everything especially like in education of having the best technology when really it's just utilizing the resources that you already have in innovative ways it seems Mm -hmm. like when things are brought to a corporate level they just get you know it it sours after that yeah (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, and then the fact how um, he mentions that they brought the cost down um, of the lenses to $4 per lens just because of the way that they designed it and the, the fact that they are doing it in a basement and everything. So it just makes you think like that's kind of crazy how they brought the cost down so much from 200 to $4. And it makes you think like they could do that here. They just need to, you know, rearrange things, do more design thinking and just like cut cut certain things that are unnecessary. Yeah, I totally agree. Design thinking could, like he even mentions, it could change global warming, education, healthcare, security, clean water, like literally whatever. These are mm-hmm. all things that people maybe even in this country don't have as- access to. And design thinking could change it and do it in a way where it's not going to cost an absurd amount of money. You just have to think in a different way. And the ideas also can't just be sold to big banks and money. You know, that's that's the problem with these huge develop development companies that, you know, it's. Yeah, it feels the best like interest a lot of, of the person gets taken out. And I like that he um, he he summed it up by saying that the shift from passive relationship from consumer to and producer, but a more active engagement of everyone in the experience and making it more meaningful. So, you know, how do we go about doing that? Because there are plenty of things here in this country that could be revisited. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that we as um, like our students and people have kind of lost the idea of making their own things right. and being creators and kind of like tinkering with things. And most people don't know how to like fix their own appliances versus if you could like teach people those like skills again, but also teach them how to like think through their problems and kind of problem solve it. Right. I think we could get new stuff on like the ground level. People could invent things or do things and not be scared and rely on a giant company to do it for them. Right. Yeah. I also like how he says it's all about the first step is about asking the right question and human need is the place to start. So that really changes what things are being innovative, like how we're being innovative and how we're thinking of creation. You only hope that that is the case and that that does happen. You know, it's so hard to imagine that right now where we are, but Mm -hmm. hopefully. Yeah. um, So that was a amazing discussion and um, on design thinking and we're just going to sign off now. So uh, this is Laura Justine, Mary, and Eileen. And thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.